This is On and Off Your Mat Podcast Episode 120, Yoga for Your Mood. Do you suffer from anxiety or depressive mood from time to time and wish you had more tools to meet yourself where you are to shift and ground your energy? If so, today's episode is for you. For today's episode, I sat down with Amy Weintraub. Amy is the founder of the Life Force Yoga Healing Institute and a pioneer in the field of yoga and mental health. Her evidence-based yoga protocol, Life Force Yoga for Managing Mood, is used in clinical settings and healthcare settings globally. She is a best-selling author with her books Yoga for Depression and Yoga Skills for Therapists, and an award-winning novelist with the book Temple Dancer. Her newest resource is a beautiful Yoga for Your Mood deck, 52 Ways to Shift Depression and Anxiety. After I got the deck myself, I wanted to sit down with her to talk about how to use yoga practices to shift our mood. As you listen to today's episode, take a screenshot of the episode and share one of your takeaways on Instagram, tagging at on and off your mat podcast. I will, of course, reshare you, but that way everybody will be able to see your takeaways and we can go deeper into the content of each episode. We can learn together and grow as a community. All right, let's get to today's episode with Amy. Hi, Amy. Hi, Erica. It's so nice to see you. Thank you so much for joining me today. Nice seeing you too. It's a pleasure to be with you, especially knowing that you're by the waves and uh, can Mm -hmm. take in all that prana from the ocean. So that's beautiful. It makes a big difference to have the ocean right there. I can definitely feel Mm -hmm. that energetic difference Mm -hmm. from Mm -hmm. living far from the ocean before. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that's where the prana, yeah, that's where the prana is strongest is by the water's edge and up on the mountaintops. So you've chosen well. Yeah, Costa Rica is a good country for that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You've chosen well, my friend. (laughs) So Amy, for listeners that don't know you very well, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your yoga journey? Oh, okay. Well, uh, let's see. Like yeah, yeah. <laughs> similar to yours, I, mean, I think we're all drawn to healing practices, in particular yoga, from our wounded places. And as a child, I had some childhood trauma. I suffered from depression for many, many years, up into really into my 30s. Mm-hmm. And when I found yoga, I had done, I was on antidepressants, I had done psychotherapy. And when I found yoga, uh, something shifted deeply. I got a sense of who I was beneath the mood. And I started practicing, you know, back then. This was, I guess, I had been meditating actually, but it was it, it back in the late '80s. It was uh, yoga with pranayama, it, which often wasn't practiced. It was practiced if you were an Iyengar student, you mm-hmm. often just did asana. But it was the pranayama and the meditation, and also the chanting that made such a huge difference in my life. And I became passionate. I became a yoga teacher uh, first through Kripalu. I've done many many other trainings, but became a yoga teacher in 1991. And I was doing it to really support my own mood and to deepen my practice. And as so many people have experienced when they become yoga teachers, I was hot to teach. You know, I just wanted to share what had transformed my life with other people who had suffered. 
And so I wrote the first article on yoga and mental health for Yoga Journal in 1999 called Yoga the Natural Prozac. And it's still online. You can still find it. And then I was asked to write by Random House Yoga for Depression, which is still a best-selling book on yoga and mental health. So relevant. Yeah, really relevant now. And then uh, W.W. Norton, who's a professional publisher, asked me to write yoga skills for therapists. And then, you know, just I began the Life Force Yoga Practitioner Training. I founded that in uh, 2004. And it's still ongoing. I no longer uh, am the director of it, but it's still there as a training for mental health professionals and yoga teachers and other health professionals as well. And then most recently, Sounds True asked me to put together a card deck for yoga Mm -hmm. and mood, working with ways to shift both depression and anxiety. And, you know, it's, it's still my passion. It's for all these years, probably very similar to you, Erica, although a little longer because <laughs> I'm older. It's been my medicine. It still is. My daily practice is what reconnects me with my wholeness, what is true about myself and all of nature beneath mood, beneath judgments, beneath whatever's going on in our tumultuous and troubled world, I know that I can recenter, regroup, come home to myself, and I'm therefore able to respond rather than react to whatever life is hitting me with or hitting us with in the moment. Love that sentence you said that it was helping you connect to who you were beneath the mood. And I think that's a really nice thing to think about when we are struggling with our mood, with our mental health, and we feel so enmeshed in how we feel that it's hard to take that step and be like, there's Mm -hmm. me and there's Mm -hmm. those emotions that I'm experiencing and I am not the emotion. So I thought that was a beautiful way to hear it in other words. Yeah. And, you know, it's you can talk about it, but until you experience it through a practice and even a simple breathing practice can totally bring you to a place where you're disconnected from the constrictions that you began with. Like, so, you know, we we read the news, we stay current with what's happening, and we can really get downhearted. We can really get anxious about it. We can lose sleep over it. But if we take a moment, even two minutes, which is why I think the card deck works so well, because they're simple, short practices, even two to five minutes to just just bring ourselves through a practice into a place where we know who we truly are beneath whatever is happening, whatever we're being bombarded with. Yeah, yeah. And I do think the yoga deck is great. I got it myself, guys. So if you want to look it up, there's cards to help you do different things. And we'll talk about it a little bit more in detail, but it's called Yoga for Your Mood Deck. And that's why I reached out to you because I liked it so much and I wanted to to talk about it a little bit more. 
Before we dive into this, can we talk about how in general, how does it work? How can yoga affect our mood? We talked about creating a little bit of space in that way, but do you have any other thoughts on how it affects our mood? Absolutely. Well, first of all, there's the science, you know, and Mm -hmm. when I first wrote Yoga for Depression, there wasn't as much research as there is now. And daily, there's research that is coming out. And so, for example, we are able to deepen our breath, which provides more oxygen to the brain and the lungs. And and we know that when we deepen the breath and we let the breath out slowly, the inhalation stimulates our energy, our sympathetic activity, and the exhalation stimulates our parasympathetic or our rest and digest, our calmer state. So, and then specifically, uh, things like serotonin, oxytocin, prolactin, the feel-good hormones, and, you know, that, you know, when you, I, I know when I was teaching live, and actually I will be teaching live again this weekend, but when I was teaching live on a regular basis, people would, you'd get this feeling of like the love in the room. People would want to hug you. You want to hug them. You you know, you might get a little moist in your eyes because there's such a deep connection with your students. And I mean, I used to teach at the Tucson Detention Center and these kids were labeled, you know, bad. And they were so lovable and so bright-eyed by the time the yoga session was over. So there was that love in the room and what that does, that's actually because our oxytocin and our prolactin levels rise. Our GABA levels are, which is a primary... Uh, Brain chemical, right? Yeah, it's an inhibitory uh, neurotransmitter. So when it's low, when we have depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder, our GABA levels are low. And after yoga, our GABA levels rise. The interesting thing, and this this is probably more relevant for um, your older listeners, but the GABA levels lower not only in depression, but also in dementia, memory loss, Alzheimer's. So when we're raising our GABA levels, we are actually stimulating our brains in a way that helps us the the neuro, the synapses to connect and building new neural networks, which is just good for depression, but it's also good for memory and yeah. and uh, um, basic mental functioning. Our heart rate variability um, raises, which is a good thing. What that means is it's a natural flow from sympathetic to parasympathetic. When we are overly stimulated, when we're anxious, when we're hyper aroused, when we're suffering from, from often from trauma related issues uh, emotionally, our heart rate is kind of set at a high level. It's set at a high level. It's like we're in that sympathetic, over-responsive, hyper-aroused, over-sensitive state. And when we're depressed, lethargic, we're in that low heart rate. And what we need is heart rate variability to go back and forth 
inappropriately. And that's what yoga does. It raises our heart rate variability. And it also, there are a lot of good things it does in the brain. One of the things I love is that when we've had repeated trauma or PTSD, which reactivates even when we're not in Yeah, the original trauma, what happens is our amygdala, which is part of the limbic brain, grows, which makes us even more hyper-aroused. So we react. We're very reactive. Even if the situation doesn't warrant it, we're acting like that seven-year-old. Suddenly, we're triggered, or we're acting like that four-year-old. And the hippocampus, which is responsible for linear memory, It actually shrinks so that our memories, especially our trauma experience memories, are stored incoherently. And we don't have a, that's why we get triggered, because we don't have a linear chronological order. You know that, that's fascinating. Yeah. And so what yoga does is it begins to shrink the amygdala. Amygdala. So that we're, we're less reactive. And it increases the size of the hippocampus so that we, our memories become more coherent and yeah, linear. More logic. And we, exactly. Exactly. Mm. So, yeah. And we just get more, you know, red blood cells stimulated. And when our, when we've oxygenated the blood, you know, we're, and, you know, when we think about something like, Kapalabhati, which means skull shining. We're actually stimulating the brain. And we're so that's very good for depression. And it meets an anxious mood. So it's not that we don't do some of the more activating practices, like what we call something like stair step breath or power hara or pulling prana or bellows breath. It's not that we don't do that when we're anxious. We might begin there and then we cue to sensations in the body, which grounds us. And then we, we do a special breath for grounding. And what that does, if we measured our vital signs, our heart rate, our blood pressure, after doing something that seems stimulating, if we follow it, with something that's really grounding, like a mini body scan, sensing into the fingers. I'll say more about that later. But if we do that, we actually, our heart rate, our our blood pressure actually goes below our starting point, even though we've done something stimulating. So we're more we're building a bridge between where we are and where we want to go instead of jumping into something that is so far ahead that our system can quite adjust yet. We need to take a step before. That's beautiful, Erica. Very well said that because mm-hmm. what happens is if, for example, if someone, you, me, were extremely agitated, really revved up, whether it's anxiety or, you know, clinical anxiety or whether it's just momentarily like uh, overly stimulated. If someone goes, you know, someone well-meaning therapist, well-meaning yoga teacher says, just take a deep breath or watch your breath. 
it's going to make us even more agitated because the breath yeah. is in the upper chest. And, you know, we're, the problem is, is we can't get it to the lower part of the lobes of the lungs. So, so what we need to do is meet that upper chest breathing and then slowly bring it into a deeper exhalation, which is going to calm us down. I was going to say that mentally, it's probably also more supporting to go where you are as like an accepting of the moment and that, you know, arriving into your body and finding a practice that matches your energy a little bit more first and be like, okay, like, this is where I am. This is how I feel. Bring in compassion and acceptance before you do something mm -hmm. that otherwise could feel jarring into like rejecting what you're experiencing now and forcing yourself into something very opposite. Exactly. Like if you're a couch potato and you can't get off the couch when the remote dies, of course, it's good for you to do sun salutations or vigorous breathing, but there's no way you're going to get off the couch to do it. You need something yes. that meets you where you are, maybe starting mm -hmm. in a supine position, um, very gentle, and then building the energy. Yeah, so it goes both ways. Whether you're starting very anxious or you're starting more on the depressed side, you can meet yourself in the practice there, do a bridge practice that's grounding and calming and balancing, and then go into the opposite energy. Yes, exactly. Great. So let's look at a couple examples, if you will, of how we could use, like what kind, you named some already, but maybe giving an example and explaining like what's that practice like for people that don't know it just by the name, if we are starting very anxious and we okay. want a practice. Yeah, let's see. So I would say an example would be uh, standing up and pulling prana which is in and out through the nostrils, arms come up over the head mm -hmm. as is accessible, or if the shoulders are impacted in some way forward and back, forward and back, and about one breath per second. So you don't want to overstimulate. So it's not like, <laughs> it's more. <laughs> so yeah. you do that, you know, to maybe... If you're leading someone else in a private session, you might do it five or 10 times, check in. If you're doing it for yourself, you might try 20, you know, maybe 20 rounds. And then here's, so, so you're actually meeting that revved up state. And then you allow the eyes to soften or close. And then you sense into if you've been pulling prana there's going to be a lot of energy in your arms your mm -hmm. palms your fingertips your face so you're going to sense into your fingertips the tingling in your fingertips your palms the tingling that sort of ginger ale feeling in your palms you're going to sense into the whole arm all the way up to the side of the face to the crown of the head and then you're going to sense into the opposite side and then it's so that you're what you're doing is the body is always present the mind is a time traveler so if we can do a practice that sort of meets us in that activated rajasic we call it in in ayurveda state and then bring attention to specific aspects of where it lands in the body, like the palms, the arms, the face, then we're doing a little mini yoga nidra, a little mini yoga scan. 
and we're bringing ourselves present to that sensation in the palms. And there, when we're when we're in the palms, there's no there's no story there. There's no you know mood there. We're just sensing the palms, and then we follow that with an inhale from seat if we're sitting or. Um, from feet, if we're standing, to crown with the words I am and an exhale to the seat or the feet here, grounded. And so what we've done is we've, and in, in if, I, if we actually did that practice, and I and as I do in, when I'm leading trainings and such, the uh, yoga therapy trainings that I lead, when I do that, I'll say, how did that land? Or if I'm working with an individual, and what I get is, how do you feel? You know, they'll say, centered, grounded, more alert, but calm, you know, that kind of thing. So what we're taking, we're taking that revved up energy. And even though we're doing a stimulating practice, like pulling prana, which is in the card deck, or one of the others, we are then bridging it, I like your word, by simply doing a body scan quick, you know, just 30 seconds sensing into face, palms, fingertips, and then grounding it with that breath. Inhale to crown, I am. Exhale to your seat here, grounded, ready. So that's an example of meeting a rev, uh, you know, a mood. I can give you others that have maybe more movement involved. Or Let's do a reverse. Sleep. Let's look at one that starts with the depressed mood and how we we bridge up. Well, for that, I would say something like we could do a breath, like stair step. But I'm thinking more relevant would be to start in a supine position. And to use a tone like lum, if you're willing to use sound, which is very grounding. And mm -hmm. bringing, for example, the knees to the chest in, you know, in a pose or one knee up in Pavana Muktasana. So something like that. And then using lum, the grounding tone. And then building the energy, doing some supine stretches. You can even start that in bed. You can use a stair step breath in bed, and you would you would take little steps of breath as though you're climbing a mountain through the nostrils, and then a long breath out. And then you would begin to bring the energy up more, you would increase the energy by taking little steps up and little steps down, which gently pumps the belly. It's a very mild kriya, which we know is wonderful for depression, mm -hmm. very mild belly pumping, cleansing practice. So what you're doing is little steps up, little steps down. So it's not as vigorous as a breath like kapalabhati, or uh, bellows breath, or Uddiyana Bandha and Agni Sara, some of those are, those are the Sanskrit terms, but some of the belly pumping, those kinds mm -hmm. of breaths, which are very good for depression, but you wouldn't really want to start there because they're 
you know, you might just not feel ready to start there. So you might start more slowly and then initiate some mild belly pumping and stair step breath, which is in the card deck, is mm-hmm. a great way to do that. Love it. Are there moments where we might be ready to go straight to the opposite? Or is it always better for the nervous system to take that bridging, grounding in between? No, there are moments, I think, if you're just feeling, say, a little lethargic, like you've been at your computer for too long, and you just kind of like you've got that three o'clock tired feeling, you know, Mm -hmm. you could just get out of your chair and do a power hara. Just so you're just right away yeah. energizing yourself. So it depends or, where you start. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, if exactly. It's just it's, a little bit more mood or something that's been lingering a little longer, that's a little heavier, that will need a little bit more momentum to shift, basically. Mm-hmm, exactly. Perfect. Perfectly understood, Erica. Yeah. Great. Slightly parallel question. It happens fairly regularly that people have emotional response when they practice, whether, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a full Hatha class and they get in Shavasana or they get in, they get in Balasana and, you know, they start to cry or they start to kind of laugh like that awkward, like (laughs) I'm at a funeral laugh, you know, this kind of physical reaction. And I know with these, some kind of, some of these breath practices, you can also have quite an emotional response. Do you have any mm. thoughts for people to understand that better, to welcome it more and just well first what of all, any yeah, any yoga teacher who's listening, it's about you give permission, right? For people to modify, give permission for people to feel their feelings, mm. laughter, mm-hmm. body noises. And I always say if if someone starts tearing up in my class, I just give a a gentle reminder that crying is one of the highest spiritual practices, that Mm. it's a release. One who knows crying knows yoga. That's the quote in the front of my book from Swami Kripalu in in front of my first book, Yoga for Depression. And it's, yeah, it's a, it's giving permission to feel your feelings. And yes, I remember I'll give you a little story if we have time. One yeah, of the please. Life Force Yoga, yeah, one of the Life Force Yoga practitioners who became a Life Force Yoga mentor and is now retired from that, told me that she went to her very first yoga class ever in the DC area and she had tears. She it was just a, you know, it was a release. She had tears. And She'd never done yoga before, but she'd done a lot of work, therapy, 12 step, you know, she did it all. And she was a very accomplished person. She ran a huge business in DC. So she, you know, she was very functional. So she went to the yoga teacher after her class and said, you know, I was crying on the mat and tears came and the yoga teacher said, oh, you need a therapist. So she immediately pathologized a a very normal and natural response. And so this person didn't think that was true. I mean, she, and the next thing she went to right in that yoga studio was my book, yoga for depression. So she picked it up and I talk about permission to cry. And it was like, it was like the answer was right there. 
And mm. that was one of the reasons she became, after she became a yoga teacher, she became a life force yoga practitioner. So That's amazing. Yeah. So I think it's, you know, it's normal and natural for feelings to flow. There's often not a story attached. In fact, whenever I lead a workshop or a training, I always say, how many people have cried on their yoga mat? And invariably, everyone raises their hands. Occasionally, I shouldn't say everyone, because occasionally a guy who's been doing like Bikram yoga, <laughs> you know, hot yoga, or someone else who's real new to yoga has never cried on their yoga mat. But for the most part, especially when I'm doing a training of, and I've got a bunch of yoga teachers in the room, you know, I, when I ask that question, everybody has shed tears. In fact, one more thing. I remember one of my students who lost her husband, who was a pilot, he had a accident, you know, it was a flight, you know, small airplane craft crash. And she was also a professor and she had to support her family. And she was really alone because her family of origin was in the Midwest and she was living in California. So she said that every morning she rolled out her mat and she cried, she wept, she did her practice. She rolled her mat back up and got on with her daily life of being a mother and a breadwinner and doing all the things she had to continue in her life, even though she'd faced this tremendous loss. Yeah, letting your mat be a safe space for you to experience mm -hmm. what you need to experience, to move the energy that needs to move so you don't repress mm -hmm. it and hope that it goes away magically, which it doesn't. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So you don't tamp it down, which is going to show up in other ways in your physical body. Yeah, exactly. Coming back to the yoga deck, we talked about, you gave examples of movement and of breath practices, but there's a lot of mudras in this deck. Mm -hmm. And I think listeners or some listeners might be less, I don't want to say comfortable, but less accustomed to using mudra, let's say. Like it's a practice that is not as mainstream as movement mm -hmm. or breath now. Mm -hmm. So any words of advice for people to use mudras or to feel more confident using them, like trusting into that part of yoga if they're less, sure, have less sure. of a relationship with it? Sure. Well, I would suggest that they try an experiment. And that would be to make fists of the hands, bring the little fingers pressing together, and to breathe and to see what part of their body the breath lands, to see where the breath is moving in the body. And then do the thumbs, same thing with the thumbs, and go back and forth, couple breaths with the pinkies, couple breaths with the thumbs, and then go through each of the fingers and breathe. And what you'll find is that as you press these different fingers, if your eyes are closed and you're really paying attention to where the breath is landing in the body, what you'll find is that the breath moves. And you will find, and that will maybe give you some confidence in saying, oh, well, gee, I didn't realize that my fingers could do that. I'll tell you one little story. 
A friend of mine, Diane Poole Heller, who's a psychotherapist, well-known, written a number of books on attachment theory, and she teaches workshops, etc. Anyway, she showed, she was at, I was at a conference, I was teaching there, and she was teaching, I went to her workshop, and she showed a demo of a, a guy, a video of a guy who was out of control, his PTSD, and his, his, his hands were moving like this, and da, 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 da. by the end of the session, now she knew nothing about mudras, he had Hakimi Mudra, he had, he was sitting there with every fingertip touching and thumbs touching, which is Hakini Mudra, which is a natural way to bring more breath to the lungs, you know, into the full breath, into the bottom of the lung, midsection, top of the lung, without even directing the breath in that way, without doing our typical mm-hmm. ujjayi breath or, you know, uh, yogic three-part breath, dirga pranayama, just simply bringing all the fingertips, pressing them together, not, and then the thumbs, pressing the thumbs together deepens the breath. And he did it naturally. She didn't know anything about mudras, so I told her afterwards what I had observed, and she was like, wow, I'm going to use that. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I would just, and they're fun, too. I mean, you can just sit there with something like Ganesha Mudra, which is, uh, let me do something simpler so it's easier to describe. So you take your left hand, and that's the nest, and then you make a fist with your right hand, and your thumb is extended. So this is actually Shiva Lingam Mudra. And you rest that in your lap, and you simply sit and breathe, and maybe you can also add you know, uh, an image, imagery is like, we call it bhavana, but imagery is like a, an image for strength, you mm-hmm. know, maybe from nature or a time you felt strong and powerful or an a face or a deity, something that has meaning for you, the meaning of strength or just the word strength if an image doesn't come. And simply breathe sitting there and you you find your posture straightens your you know you just feel more empowered more embodied with a mudra like that so i just say experiment with it try it out in the in the um, see for yourself yeah see for yourself test test it out enjoy it it just adds another dimension it's a little more subtle than the breathing practices that we call pranayama and kriya but they do affect the mood. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I can hear people be like, but why putting my fingers together and not controlling anything else does anything? <laughs> well, try it. That's what, you know, that's why I said, you know, if we were sort of on video for this, I would demonstrate it, but I think I've described it. And the deck has pictures. It's all on illustrated. Side. Yeah. Yeah. And on the back, it has the instructions for how to do it. So just try it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Sometimes we don't need to understand all the science behind. We need to have an experience of it on our own. And that shifts our relationship to it. Yeah. We talked about a lot of different tools. We talked about movement, about breath, about mudras. I know that in your personal experience, creativity has been also another tool that has supporting you, has supported you in 
your mood and your mental health. Care to talk about this quickly before we wrap this up? Sure. Thank you so much, Erica, for giving me that opportunity because I think, you know, sometimes those of us who are creative, I've been a writer all my life, people who are creative are often more subject to mood swings. I mean, we're all creative, right? I mean, and for me, when I'm writing a novel and I just published Temple Dancer, which is sort of my culmination, thank you, of my experiences with uh, devotional yoga, bhakti yoga and dance and and it's part it's set in India and I'm working on the screenplay. I have an executive producer working with me. So when I'm deeply absorbed in a creative project, I'm just, I feel so full. It's like being in deep meditation. And so for me, being absorbed in a creative project is really, really mood lifting and Mm -hmm. uh, thrilling. And usually when I finish a creative project, to be truthful, I have this little dip in the mood. And that's why, because, you know, it's almost like postpartum, you know, you finish something major. And so you create something huge. You just created something incredible. So when that happens for me, I then it's about, you know, staying in the creative process and also doing my practice every day so that I, you know, I I fill myself up with, Mm -hmm. with the universe, with the collective unconscious. And I really believe that when we open ourselves through meditation, through these techniques, we actually are opening the channel to receive the art that comes through us if we're artists, or the dance that comes through us if we're dancers, or the you know, the stories that come through us if we're writers. And so I really think that practice, deep practice with meditation, clearing the space with something simple like a breathing practice, a mudra, clearing the space can actually give us more access to our creative selves. I agree. I agree. Wow. Anything else you want to add before we finish? If there's like one takeaway when it comes to yoga for your mood or practices for your mood that you would like our listeners to leave with today, what would that be? Well, I would say that even a small practice of two to five minutes can really make a difference. If you say, I don't have the energy to roll out my yoga mat or, you know, I just don't feel like blah, 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 you know, two minute practice and then... It'll take you home. And when I've had that experience years ago, when I first started yoga, that two-minute practice would lead me to a five, to a ten, and then I didn't want didn't want to get (laughs) off my mat, you know. So yeah, just commit to two minutes and see what Mm -hmm. happens. Yeah, that's beautiful. I'll put all your information in the show notes, website, and links for people to find you. But for people listening right now, where's the best place for them to go if they want to chat, if they want to see what you're offering, if they want to connect with you? So amyweintraub.com is the best place because Perfect. that has links to YouTube and to Instagram and all the different things where I've got practices and it's got free practices. It's got some that you download and yeah, so that amyweintraub.com. 
Amazing. And we'll put that on the show notes. We'll put your socials and we'll put a link to the deck and all the other books as well. Thank you so much for joining me today. It was such a pleasure chatting with you. It was wonderful to meet you and chat with you, Erica. So blessings on a beautiful day in Costa Rica. (laughs) Thank you to you too. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast anywhere you listen. Come and connect with us on Instagram at on and off your mat podcast. Screenshot you listening to this episode with your takeaways. Also, you can become a premium member for the podcast on our membership platform and get your hands on all our exclusive content, including our class library. Check out the show notes for that link. You can also find in the show notes a link to more info about our guests of today, Amy Weintraub, or my top five biggest takeaway from this episode. Before you go, I just want to say a last thank you to the growing team behind this podcast for their support in making this possible, and that includes all our premium members. Once again, thank you for listening in. Until next time.